Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine you were accused of brutally killing your parents. Imagine you were, thankfully, acquitted of the crime. But everyone in your city followed your highly publicized trial, and they were all convinced you were a murderer. Now, Imagine if you took your inheritance from your parents' untimely demise and bought one of the most ostentatious homes in your city, instead of moving elsewhere, where perhaps you wouldn't be so recognizable. And imagine if you lived the rest of your days there, a full 34 years of daily taunts, glares, and hushed whispers as you passed by. You, my friends, have put yourselves in the shoes of Lizzie Borden, and we're not headed to the infamous home where her father and stepmother were hacked to death. We're headed to a place much more important to Lizzie, a place where many believe her spirit is still as present there today as it was when she was alive. Come with me to Maplecroft. I'm Amy Bruni, and welcome to Haunted Road. On August 4, 1892, Abby and Andrew Borden were found murdered in their home in Fall River, Massachusetts. Andrew was famously found lying on the couch, his head nearly split in two. Abby was found in an upstairs bedroom, lying in a pool of blood, her head bludgeoned multiple times. Like many notorious murders of this era, the weapon used was an axe. Suspicion quickly turned to Andrew Borden's daughter, Lizzie. Other than the maid, Lizzie was the only person home at the time of the murders. It was rumored there was much turmoil in the home because Andrew was known to be miserly, even though he was supposedly worth a fortune. Lizzie and her sister Emma regularly fought with Andrew over this, and they also despised their stepmother, Abby. The murder trial was sensational and was followed via the press worldwide. However, every bit of evidence the prosecution presented was deemed to be circumstantial. Still, Lizzie's story changed multiple times. It was rumored she attempted to buy poison days before the murders and that she burned dresses days after the crime. The apparent murder weapon, an axe found in the basement, was never fingerprinted because the Fall River police were wary of that new technology. All of this paired with Lizzie's wholesome upbringing and image, 
convinced the jury to acquit her. After nearly a year in jail, Lizzie was acquitted in June of 1893. But acquittal or not, the community of Fall River still very much believed Lizzie had committed the crimes, and they weren't shy about saying it. So Lizzie and her sister did what any normal person who had been accused of murder in a close-knit town would do. They used the inheritance of their fathers to buy a 14-room mansion on The Hill, the wealthiest part of town, and proceeded to live the lifestyle Lizzie had always dreamed of, right in front of everyone who thought she had killed her parents. And old-time friends and twilight plays and starry nights and sunny days come trooping up the misty ways when my fire burns low. These words are carved above the fireplace in the library at Maplecroft and seem to indicate the hope that Lizzie had for her new life. The poem itself is taken from a common school English literature textbook published in 1876. However, Lizzie seems to have changed the last line because it originally stated, when my cows come home. Definitely not as romantic. Lizzie and her sister Emma moved into Maplecroft in September of 1893. Lizzie dubbed the house Maplecroft at that time and had the name etched on the front steps, though no one can find her source for the name. The home almost immediately drew considerable interest, boasting 14 rooms, eight of which were bedrooms, plus numerous bathrooms, and a modest six fireplaces. It was one of the largest homes on the hill at the time. The Fall River Daily Globe reported that it almost immediately became a mecca of innumerable sightseers year after year. The public was not kind to Lizzie. Children constantly threw gravel at her windows, disturbed her lawn, threw rotten eggs at the house, and ding-dong ditched her. Hilda Gifford, the daughter of a Fall River jeweler, lived nearby. On Halloween, she and her friends would draw straws. The loser had to ring Lizzie's doorbell. A morbid but now very well-known rhyme began making its rounds locally. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden is now dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing. On the gallows she will swing. As time passed, reports were that Lizzie lived as a recluse. Her best friends prior to the murders abandoned her. The society she participated in prior to the trial snubbed her afterwards. She was ostracized, an outcast, and it's described that when she walked down the street, her nearest neighbors passed her by without a nod or sign of recognition. But there are glimmers and reports of a different Lizzie emerging. In 1905, she legally changed her name to Lizbeth. The company she lacked from humans, she made up for with her animals. She had two purebred French bulldogs who rarely left her side, and singing canaries in her home. She had squirrel houses built around Maplecroft, and she would feed them herself, allowing the little animals to climb her arms and sit on her shoulders. She sent her friends' children birthday cards and signed them Auntie Borden. She played cribbage under the trees and gathered wildflowers on warm summer days. She hired chauffeurs and live-in maids and visited her father's grave. In the winter, the cemetery foreman, Terence J. Lomax, had his men shovel a path to the Borden plot for her. Lisbeth also brought some of the first cars to the neighborhood, 
She owned a 1923 Lincoln and a 1924 Buick, most notably. By that time, she was known to have her chauffeur pull over when she saw children so she could pass out candy to them. In the midst of all this, there was one relationship that deteriorated to the point of no return, that of Lisbeth and her sister, Emma. Keep in mind, Lisbeth and Emma's mother died of uterine congestion a few years after Lisbeth was born. Their mother made then 12-year-old Emma promise she would look after Lisbeth, a promise she upheld until 1905. Lisbeth apparently befriended a Boston actress by the name of Nance O'Neill. Some reports indicate the friendship may have been more than platonic, but this remains unverified. Apparently, Emma tired of Lisbeth's frivolity, with not only their funds, but their privacy, as Lisbeth began entertaining friends she met in Boston. For years, it was an open secret that Lisbeth and Emma did not agree and were constantly at odds in the home. But the parties were the final straw, and after some urging from friends, Emma packed her belongings and left the French Street mansion, never again to set foot within its doors or talk to Lisbeth. It's hard to imagine what transpired between those two sisters over so many years, from the moment a dying mother begged her 12-year-old child to look after her little sister, to the horrifying murders, to the moment that door slammed shut as Emma never looked back. Lisbeth's health began to decline in 1926, and she would not recover. It was discovered by the local press that a Mary Smith Borden, who had checked into Providence Hospital with gallbladder trouble, was actually Lisbeth. It was also reported that she was a troublesome patient. There are various explanations for her eventual death in 1927 at the age of 67. Some say heart disease, others say pneumonia. But she most certainly died at Maplecroft and was waked in the parlor. A handful of friends supposedly attended a funeral service in the home, yet a soloist hired to sing a hymn during the service said otherwise. In her words, she rang the bell and a gentleman said, follow me, you're to stand beside the fireplace. She says, so I stood there and sang that song to an empty room. I never saw a soul but that one man. After the wake, Lisbeth was buried at sunset with only the undertaker's assistance present. Rumors are that she demanded a concrete slab be put over her coffin to deter curiosity seekers and grave robbers from disturbing her final resting place. Her final resting place, which happens to be next to her father and stepmother in the family plot. At the time of her death, Lisbeth was worth over $250,000, almost $5 million by today's standards. Her will left sizable donations to the local animal rescue, plus smaller sums to numerous cousins and friends. She also left money to tend to her father's grave in perpetuity. To her sister, she left nothing saying she had the means to look after herself. Nine days after Lisbeth's death, and after 22 years of not speaking, Emma Borden passed away in her home in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Emma, too, was buried in the family plot in Fall River. So why? Why did Lisbeth remain in Fall River all those years, staring down her detractors, when she could have so easily gone elsewhere and started fresh? To quote Lisbeth directly, when the truth comes out about this murder, I want to be living here so I can walk downtown and meet those of my old friends who have been cutting me for all these years. 
It's been over 125 years, and no one else was ever arrested for the murders, and speculation is intense, even today. It makes you wonder, if Lisbeth still walks the halls of Maplecroft, waiting for her moment of vindication. Personally, I absolutely think that she does. And coming up next, we'll talk about why. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So I'm here now with Sue Vickery, who is an integral part of not only Maplecroft, but also uh, the original murder house, the Lizzie Borden house that's so famous as well. And she has positions in both locations. At the Lizzie Borden house, she is a tour guide, but at Maplecroft, she is the caretaker. And so she's here to answer some of my questions about Maplecroft and tell us some of the more interesting experiences people have had there, including herself, plus what she thinks is actually going on there. So let's ask her a few questions. Thanks for being here, Sue. My pleasure. So... How long have you been working in the, the realm of Lizzie Borden? Uh, in and about 10 years, I'd say. Okay, so you started at, I hate to call it this, but you started at the murder house, <laughs> right? And, and uh, did you start as a tour guide? I did, yes. Okay. And now that you're working at both houses, which house do you find yourself drawn to more? Well, that's tough to say. I'm drawn to both houses. You know, I was always fascinated by her entire life. Um, Being able to come into Maplecroft is really a bucket list. I never thought I'd see that. That was a process. I mean, it seemed like, you know, Maplecroft has been privately owned for so long. And it just seemed only fitting that the folks who owned the Second Street house would end up purchasing Maplecroft. And I think the original intent was to open it up to the public, right? To make it a bed and breakfast. Yeah, that's what they wanted to do. Uh, bed and breakfast or we were to settle for tours. The city won't allow either. That's unfortunate because I, I think that, 
you know, Fall River is actually a really interesting city. And, you know, when I first moved into this area, I was just fascinated with the history there and the architecture. And, you know, th there are a few tourist spots there like Battleship Cove. Uh, but I do feel like so many people are drawn to the story of Lizzie Borden because it's just so mysterious and remains unsolved to this day. And, uh, you know, it, it attracts not only history buffs, but also uh, paranormal folks and true crime aficionados. So it just seems like such a great opportunity for the city. You would think, right, that they would welcome a second location, but they don't. Yeah, people are constantly sending me <laughs> links to the house. I know it's on the market again now, and they're always like, you should buy it. And man, it would be very it's too late on that one. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so now, having spent so much time in both houses, what do you think is the difference in the energy in both of the homes? Well, there's definitely a lighter energy here at Maplecroft. Although <laughs> that third floor can be a little dark at times. Isn't the third floor where the uh, the caretaker lives or whoever's living there lives? Well, no one lives here now. I mean, they wanted me to live here, but I'm here as much as I can, but I don't really want to move in. So the house uh, doesn't have anyone living on the third floor at the moment. Oh, and so why do you not want to move in because you don't want to move from your location now or is it for other reasons? <laughs> uh, I don't think I would be comfortable trying to sleep here. Well, that's interesting because I've, I've spent a lot of time in Maplecroft and um, I've investigated it a number of times. And, you know, at first it, it, it was almost like getting to know a live person. Like it was almost like meeting someone who's closed off and then trying to, to kind of get them to open up to you, <laughs> you know, trying to think of different ways to get the house to speak to you. And, and it took a while, but I do feel like now when I go back that the house or potentially Elizabeth remembers me, like it, it feels very different than when I first went there. Has that been the same for you? Oh, yeah. I, I have no problem with her. It's not her that uh, worries me. <laughs> There's actually a man on the third floor, and I don't know who he is. But I've tried laying on a bed up there by myself, and all of a sudden the whole bed started shaking. And I know that's not her doing that. I've seen a full-fledged shadow figure on the third floor. Again, not her. That's interesting because when we investigated there, we didn't investigate the third floor because that's where uh, the person who was taking care of the house at the time lived. And they said there really wasn't anything going on up there. But as we've learned so many times over the years investigating these spaces, sometimes the investigations themselves actually attract different spirits. And not to mention the house has more of a history than just Lizbeth or Lizzie. You know, someone built it before she bought it, and then people lived there long after she passed. Mm -hmm. When you investigated, did you, did you get a man come through speaking for her a lot? Never. So Never. that's really interesting. It was at first very quiet. Uh, and then as we investigated, she kind of started becoming more comfortable with us. And and I've long theorized that that's because we made kind of a, a pact uh, after night one or two that we weren't going to bring up the murders anymore. And we were just going to talk to her about, you know, post murder life, I guess. And I think that was what really brought her out more 
And I don't think we got any evidence of a man, but it's also been a while. And I don't think the third floor was opened up then. So maybe you've found someone new. Yeah. I mean, I've done the same with her, Amy. Uh, We do run ghost hunts here, but uh, we don't allow paranormal teams to rent out the house. Any ghost hunt has to be through us. That way I can kind of control what people say. And that's what we tell them. It's all about respect. We don't want the other place mentioned. All your questions have to pertain to her life here. And, you know, we try and keep it her sanctuary. Same as you and Adam did. Is there anything that happens in the house that you feel like maybe riles her up a little bit? I think when we have too many people in the house, you can hear her a little bit stomping around upstairs. Occasionally, somebody might say something and you'll hear a door slam. Hmm. Other than that, um, she's kind of quiet. We get the knocking now and then, but I don't think that's her. Right. And, And so when she starts doing that, what do you do to calm her down? I'll just say, oh, I'm sorry. Are you in this part of the house? We'll leave you be. We'll go somewhere else. So what would you say, and all the time you've spent at Maplecroft, what would you say is the the strangest experience that you've had there? Over the pandemic, we did a show, uh, Dark Zone. And we were filming on the third floor again. And um, somebody was doing the Estes method. And she kept yelling my first and last name over the uh, spirit box. And then I saw a full-fledged shadow figure stand right in the doorway of the room. And as soon as I pointed it out, you actually saw the shadow run. Mm. Probably the scariest thing was when I was alone on the third floor, laying on the bed, and the whole bed started to just shake. Yeah, that that would be disconcerting. I can see now why you don't want to move in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it scares me, but it fascinates me at the same time. I just would rather come and go. What do you, what would you say is the strangest or scariest experience you've heard of anyone else having in the home? I don't know, Amy. Uh, down in the basement, we were doing a ghost hunt, and a woman got touched, and it really freaked her out. I mean, literally anybody else in the room could have been touched, and it wouldn't have been that kind of reaction. But she was touched, and I happened to have the spirit box going. I said, hey, could, uh, whoever just touched her, could you please not do that? You scared her. And over the spirit box, he just said, I'm sorry. Well, (laughs) she was so scared, she actually ended up leaving the ghost hunt after she validated, you know, somebody actually validating that they did touch her. Yeah, it freaked her out. And that was enough for her. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a little bit uh, unnerving. Now, we did some experimenting when Adam and I investigated with Kindred Spirits. We did some investigating and experimenting where we tried to kind of see if the two locations were connected. And, you know, we weren't sure if maybe some energy or spirits travel between the two houses. Do you think that that happens? I don't ever sense any of the spirits from the other house in this house. But I have sensed her at the other location. So I do think that she's able to travel back and forth. That would make sense because really the other spirits in theory passed before, you know, she would have moved into Maplecroft. And so they wouldn't even know that it it existed in her world. And so that actually makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Do you think that there is any evidence that Emma Porden might be in the home or might come to the house? Well, I don't know if it's evidence. I have had a psychic in the house tell me that she was here. But then again, you're taking a word of someone else. I, I 
didn't personally ever get her name come through or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It just seems so strange to me. Like I was just, I was just recently going through all the history again. And, you know, to think that those sisters were joined for so long and then it just ended one day and then still they end up dying within two weeks of each other without even knowing each other was ill. And it it makes me wonder if maybe they've tried to mend defenses in the afterlife or, or, you know, it's, I just, I guess in so many of my investigations, I've seen that happen where people have these kind of regrets as far as how relationships went in their living years. And I guess there's a part of me that kind of hopes that Lizzie and Emma might, you know, meet up in the afterlife. So I, I was thinking Maplecroft might be the perfect place for that if it would ever happen. And maybe they did. I just, I haven't personally gotten any evidence of that, but it's possible. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um is is the house still on the market? It is. It is. Yes. This house is Maplecroft. Yeah. And so Maplecroft is still on the market. It's been on the market for a while. When it is sold or if it is sold, what do you hope to see the new owners do? I think I would rather it became their private family home to be honest. So you you would like it to just be kind of what it was originally intended, a beautiful home for a family. Exactly. Unless they were going to do respectful tours like we had in mind. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want it to be another place where you get all these paranormal groups coming over screaming about the other house. Yeah. I think that would be awful. Yeah. It, you know, it, it is... It is a beautiful home. Like you walk in and there's this grand staircase to the left and then to the right, there's this gorgeous parlor. And I mean, I can't state enough just what a stunning, stunning residence it is. And mm-hmm. and I think it would be great for it to be just privately owned and kind of tucked away. But, you know, it's one of those places I just think people will not stop being curious about you know i i've just seen this happen so many times like places like the amityville house and such where they almost become tourist attractions even though they're not open people stop and they take photos out front and things like that and i wonder if that's kind of you know stopping people from buying the house yeah i do know one of the previous owners he actually put a board across the word maplecroft to try and you know deter people (laughs) the word maplecroft is one of the things that lizzie put there you know there are just there are still a lot of little touches in there that lizzie i should say lizbeth lizbeth put there herself and uh you know that's that's fascinating and you know it, it just feels like her when you go there now Question for you. I know you're in Maplecroft right now, and so this is kind of a touchy question to ask, but I have to ask it. I didn't know you were going to be doing your interview while you were actually in the house. <laughs> um, so that being said, do you think Lizbeth or Lizzie did it? Well, hopefully she's not listening, but I mean, I would have to say so. But I don't think people say all the time, oh, for the money. I don't think so. I think there was something else going on. Mm-hmm. I always said if she did it, there was a, a good reason, a better reason for it. There's a sound upstairs as I was saying that. Oh, great. Sorry, I didn't mean to stir it up for you over there. <laughs> no, I mean, I've actually told her this myself anyway. Yeah. I, and maybe, you know, I know 
there's a lot of rumors as far as what could have gone on between, uh, you know, her family, a lot of money matters. There's claims of abuse. You know, there's claims that, you know, she had some sort of relationship with the maid. I mean, all of these things that we will never, ever know the truth on. And I'm sure, you know, she probably never expected for people to still be talking about it so many years later. And I just, I think it's, it, it's just so kind of magical to me that we have this kind of direct line to her still through Mabel Croft. Like, I fully believe she is there. I do like how curated you are about like, you know, what people say, you know, you're careful about what they bring up. Um, because I think that's the only way that she will talk to people. Uh, and I think it's also just an important lesson in the fact that, you know, just because we pass away doesn't mean we stop being human and that there's a respect level that needs to happen there. But when we filmed there and we were shooting and investigating, you know, we were there for multiple days and we've been back a number of times. And one of our producers just kept asking me to ask her if she did it over and over again. He was like, you just, you need to ask her. You need to ask her if she did it. And I refused. I said, I, I won't because I've gained her trust. Like I've spent so many days here talking to her and she's finally talking to me and I have to come back to this house again and again and I don't want to ruin this. All right. <laughs> I did want to say though that, you know, that's mainly the reason that only you and Adam were allowed in this house because of your level of respect to her. We knew we could count on that from you guys. Well, thank you. We, uh, Adam and I, as investigators, really strive to, you know, kind of impart the same respect to the dead as we do to the living. It, you know, we we talk to them as though they're standing right in front of us, living and breathing. Oh, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like you so much. I've actually, for people listening, I've known Sue for many years at this point. You know, we, we met through the Lizzie Borden house and now through Maplecroft. She's actually featured on an episode of Kindred Spirits, too. Now, you were on the Maplecroft one, too, right? Yeah, briefly, yeah. So she's a regular at this point. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I dug into the history a lot for the podcast. I mean, obviously, I have in the past as well. And just from what you've heard and what you've studied, what do you think life was like for Elizabeth at Maplecroft? Well, I think it was a combination of things. She had a lot of good times here. Her servants were very loyal to her. She had good friends. She loved to travel. She finally got the high life on the hill. But then she also was snubbed by neighbors. You know, they made up that little nursery rhyme and they would actually sing it outside of this house, throw eggs at the side of the house. So there were her bad days in here. But um, I think for the most part, she loved this place. Oh, the other thing is she had a lot of animals in the home. Right. She had her dogs. She had canaries. She fed squirrels outside. Have you guys ever found any evidence of any spirit animals in the home? Because I've been hearing about that a lot lately. Actually, yes. Um, oh. We've gotten dogs. I've heard a cat in the house before. And um, you remember my Cindy? Yeah. She um, actually had this weird feeling that there was a monkey still in this house. Now, Elizabeth did not own a monkey, but a previous family actually kept a monkey in here. Oh. And it's funny because Cindy said that to me one day, and then not that long ago, like two weeks ago, um, I had a psychic medium knock at the side door, and I let the woman, I was speaking to her, and um, she turned to Cindy and said, did you see like a, a short shadow figure run up a staircase? And Cindy's like, yeah. She's like, that was a monkey. <laughs> Cindy and I just looked at each other and said, what? 
A monkey? I had no idea. This yes. is a new one for me. Yes, the Sylvia family kept the monkey at Maplecroft. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Uh, Maplecroft has a very interesting history in addition to Elizabeth living there. Oh, yes. Now, with everything you know, like I have heard that she stayed in Fall River because she wanted people to look her in the eye again once she was vindicated. Do you think that's actually why she stayed there? Well, you know, I always wondered that, Amy. You know, here she is. She's inherited millions of dollars, essentially. She could have lived anywhere in the world anonymously, had this great life. Why stay on the hill where you're being ostracized? And as I studied her life here, I discovered a friend that asked her that same question. And you're correct. Her response to her friend was, because I want to be among these same people when I'm found to be innocent. And I did hear she later regretted that before she died. Mm, why do you think she regretted it? Well, because the innocent thing never really happened for her. And, you know, she wasted all that time trying to prove her innocence, really. Yeah, I mean, it's strange because she didn't really do anything to, you know, try to prove her innocence after that. She just kind of assumed it would have happened eventually. And she just lived her life. And like you said, she she literally could have gone anywhere. She had m enough money to move even out of the country if she wanted to. But instead, she stayed where everyone thought she had axe murdered her parents, which is is such a crazy concept to me. And what's crazy about it is, okay, uh, you know, there were other people on the scene. Over the course of time, usually somebody talks, something is said. Never. Not in this case, never. No. No, I, I do remember I heard that there was some sort of deathbed confession from Bridget the maid at some point, but that's not uh, confirmed. Do you know anything about that? Supposedly, she thought she was dying and sent for her friend. It took this friend a little bit to reach her. And by the time the friend did, uh, she had recovered and didn't say anything. Mm. That whole story started from a Butte, Montana librarian as it was told to her. Mm. So nobody really knows if that even occurred at all. Right. So yet another game of historical telephone, really. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you think people need to know about Maplecroft? Because I feel like right now, you know, there there is some access to it, but I just have a hunch that at some point Maplecroft is going to be closed back up to the public like it has been for so many years. Um, you know, is there anything you want the the world to know about that house? I mean, it was very special for her and her lifetime. And I just hope whoever's hands it falls into treats it with the same respect, no matter what they do with it. And, you know, there are some opportunities to still see the house. If you go to the other house's website, we do try and conduct um, things here at the house periodically. It may be the only opportunity, guys. That's good to know. So uh, folks listening, uh, if you do head to New England, obviously you, you'll probably want to pay a visit to the Lizzie Borden house, but inquire about Maplecroft, see if it's a place you can still get into, because my hunch is that it won't be available to us much longer. And I feel like if Lizzie was haunting either house, it's definitely Maplecroft. So having been there, it's a very special place. And Sue, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions about this. Um, you're, you're lovely as always. I can't wait to see you in person again. Yeah, I mean, it's my pleasure. Anytime I can talk about this house, I love it. Okay, well, stay safe over there. Watch out for that third floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, call me if you need me. 
<laughs> All righty. Thank you so much, Sue. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. The more I investigate and read about Lisbeth, the more inclined I am to say that I'm just not sure whether she killed her parents. I think it's incredible that we potentially have a direct line to her through her spirit at Maplecroft, and I do so hope that whoever takes ownership of the home next respects that. In the meantime, did you know that all the legal papers from her trial sit in a five-drawer filing cabinet at the law firm that represented her? It's been locked since the crime and remains that way to this day since the law firm is still very much in existence and practicing and attorney-client privilege does not end when someone dies. I often think of that filing cabinet tucked away in that office and all the secrets that it holds. All the secrets we will most likely never know. Since the recording of this episode, we have lost someone very integral to the story I just told and that you just heard. My dear friend Leanne Wilbur, who was co-owner of the Lizzie Borden House and of Maplecroft, left us on June 5th quite unexpectedly. I'm pretty heartbroken over it. I've known Leanne for a number of years, and she always welcomed me to Maplecroft and the Lizzie Borden House with open arms. She was a lovely human being, and I just am still a little shell-shocked by it. So this episode is dedicated to her memory and to all the wonderful times we shared. So thank you for listening. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Amy Bruni. Executive producers include Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. The show is produced by Rima Ilkayali and Trevor Young. Taylor Hagerdorn is the show's researcher. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.